0: Read the next chapter! Read the next chapter! Alright, is everybody ready to listen to the story? Chapter 7, The Lendry and the River As Dandelion ended, Acorn, who was on the windward side of the little group, suddenly started and sat back, with ears up and nostrils twitching. The strange, rank smell was stronger than ever, and after a few moments they all heard a heavy movement close by. Suddenly, on the other side of the path, the fern parted, and there looked out a long, dog like head, striped black and white. It was pointed downward, the jaws grinning, the muzzle close to the ground. Behind, they could just discern great, powerful paws and a shaggy black body. The eyes were peering at them, full of savage cunning. The head moved slowly, taking in the dusky lengths of the wood in both directions, and then fixed them once more with its fierce, terrible stare. The jaws opened wider, and they could see teeth glimmering white as the stripes on the head. For a long moment, it gazed and the rabbits remained motionless, staring back without sound. Then Bigwig, who was nearest to the path, turned and slipped back among the others. lendry, he muttered, as he passed through them. It may be dangerous, and it may not, but I'm taking no chances with it. Let's get away. They followed him through the fern, and very soon came upon another parallel path. Bigwig turned into it and broke into a run. dandelion overtook him, and the two disappeared among the Ilex trees. Hazel and the others followed as best they could, with Pipkin limping and staggering behind, his fear driving him on in spite of the pain in his paw. Hazel came out on the further side of the Ilexes and followed the path round a bend. Then he stopped dead and sat back on his haunches. Immediately in front of him, Bigwig and Dandelion were staring out from the sheer edge of a high bank, and below the bank ran a stream. It was, in fact, a little river, Enborn, twelve to thirteen feet wide, and at this time of year, two or three feet deep, with spring rain. But to the rabbits, it seemed immense, such a river as they had never imagined. The moon had almost set, and the night was now dark. But they could see the water faintly shining as it flowed and could just make out on the further side a thin belt of nut trees and alders. Somewhere beyond, a plover called three or four times and was silent. One by one, most of the others came up, stopped at the bank, and looked at the water without speaking. A chilly breeze was moving, and several of them trembled where they sat. Well, this was a nice surprise, Hazel, said Bigwig at length. Were you expecting this when you took us into the wood? Hazel realized wearily that Bigwig was probably going to be troublesome. He was certainly no coward, but he was likely to remain steady only as long as he could see his way clear to be sure of what to do. To him, perplexity was worse than danger. And when he was perplexed, he usually grew angry. The day before, Fiverr's warning had troubled him, and he had spoken in anger to the Threra and left the Oslo. Then, while he was in an uncertain mood about the idea of leaving the Warren, Captain Holly had appeared in capital time to be attacked and provide a perfect reason for their departure. Now, at the sight of the river, Bigwig's assurance was leaking again. And unless he Hazel could restore it in some way, they were likely to be in for trouble. He thought of the Threra and his wily courtesy. I don't know what we should have done without you just now, Bigwig," he said. "What was that animal? Would it have killed us?" "A lendry," said Bigwig. "I've heard them. I've heard about them in the outlaw. They're not really dangerous. They can't catch a rabbit that runs, and nearly always you can smell them coming." They're funny things. I've heard of rabbits living almost on top of them and coming to no harm. But they're best avoided all the same. They'll dig out rabbit kittens. And they'll kill an injured rabbit if they find one. They're one of the thousand, all right. I ought to have guessed with the smell, but it was new to me. It had killed before it met us, said Blackberry with a shudder. I saw blood on its lips. A rat, perhaps, or pheasant chicks. "'Lucky for us, it had killed, otherwise it might have been quicker. "'Still, fortunately, we did the right thing. "'We really came out of it very well,' said Bigwood. "'Fiver came limping down the path with Pipkin. "'They, too, checked and stared at the sight of the river. "'What do you think we ought to do now, Fiver?' asked Hazel. "'Fiver looked out at the water and twitched his ears. "'We shall have to cross it,' he said. "'But I don't think I can swim, Hazel. "'I'm worn out, and Pipkin's a good deal worse than I am.' "'Cross it!' cried Bigwig. "'Cross it? Who's going to cross it?' "'What do you want to cross it for? "'I never heard such nonsense.' "'Like all wild animals, rabbits can swim if they have to, "'and some even swim when it suits them. "'Rabbits have been known to live on the edge of a wood "'and regularly swim in a brook to feed in the the fields beyond. "'But most rabbits avoid swimming.' and certainly an exhausted rabbit could not swim the endboard. "'I don't want to jump in there,' said Speedwell. "'Why not just go along the bank?' asked Hawkbit. Hawkbit. Hazel suspected that if Fiverr felt they ought to cross the river, it might be dangerous not to. But how were the others to be persuaded? At this moment, as he was still wondering what to say to them, he suddenly realized that something had lightened his spirits, What could it be, a smell, a sound? Then he knew, nearby across the river, a lark had begun to twitter and fly. It was morning. A blackbird called one or two deep, slow notes and was followed by a wood pigeon. Soon, they were in a gray twilight and could see that the stream bordered the further edge of the wood. On the other side lay open fields. Chapter 8, The Crossing. The top of the sandy bank was a good six feet above the water. From where they sat, the rabbits could look straight and head and upstream and downstream to their left. Evidently, there were nesting holes in the sheer face below them for as the light grew they saw three or four martins dart out over the stream and away into the fields beyond in a short time one returned with its beak full and they could hear the nestlings squeaking as he flew out of their sight beneath their feet the bank did not extend far in either direction upstream sloped down to a grassy path between the river and the tree between the trees and the water this followed the line of the river, which ran straight from almost as far away as they could see, flowing smoothly into f- without fords, gravel shallows, or plank bridges. Immediately below them lay a wide pool, and here the water was almost still. Away to their left, the bank sloped down again into clumps of alder, among which the stream could be heard chattering over gravel. There was a glimpse of barbed wire stretched across the water, and they guessed that this must surround a cattle wade, like the one in the little brook near the homeworm. Oh, Hazel looked at the path upstream. Hi, Dad. There's grass down there, he said. Let's go and feed. They scrambled down the bank and set to nibbling beside the water. Between them and the stream itself stood half-grown clumps of purple loosestrife and fleabane which would not flower for nearly two months yet. The only blooms were a few early meadowsweet and a patch of pink butterburn. Looking back at the face of the bank they could see that it was in fact dotted thickly with Martin's holes. There was a narrow foreshore at the foot of the little cliff and this was littered with the rubbish of the colony. Sticks, dropping feathers, a broken egg, and a dead nestling or two. The Martins were now coming and going in numbers over the water. Hazel moved close to Fiverr and quietly edged him away from the others feeding as he went. When they were a little way off and half concealed by a patch of reeds, he said, Are you sure we've got to cross the river, Fiverr? What about going across, going along the bank? one way or the other. No, we need to cross the River Hazel so that we can get into those fields and on beyond them, too. I know what we ought to be looking for. A high, lonely place with dry soil where rabbits can see and hear all around and men hardly ever come. Wouldn't that be worth a journey? Yes, of course it would, but is there such a place? Not near a river. I needn't tell you that. But if you cross a river, you start going up again, don't you? We ought to be on the top, on the top and in the open. The fiver, Fiverr, I think they may refuse to go much further. And then again, you say all this, and yet you say you're too tired to swim. I can rest, Hazel, but Pipkin's in a pretty bad way. I think he's injured. We may have to stay here half the day. Well, let's go talk to the others. They may not mind staying. It's crossing they're not going to fancy, unless something frightens them into it. As soon as they had made their way back, Bigwig came across to them from the bushes at the edge of the path. I was wondering where you got to, he said to Hazel. Are you ready to move on? No, I'm not, answered Hazel firmly. I think we ought to stay here until Neifrith. That'll give everyone a chance to rest. "'and then we can swim across those fields.' "'Bigwig was about to reply, but Blackberry spoke first. "'Bigwig,' he said, "'why don't you swim over now "'and then go out into the field and have a look around? "'The wood may not stretch very far one way or the other, you could see from there, "'and then we might know which would be the best way to go.' "'Oh, well,' said Bigwig, rather grudgingly, "'I suppose there's some sense in that. "'I'll swim the Embler River.' as many times as you like, always happy to oblige. Without the slightest hesitation, he took two hops to the water, waded in, and swam across the deep, still pool. They watched him pull himself out beside a flowering clump of figwort. Gripping one of the tough stems in his teeth, shake a shower of drops out of his fur and scutter into the alder bushes, A moment later, between the nut trees, they saw him running off into the field. "'I'm glad he's with us,' said Hazel to Silver. Again he thought wryly of the Threra. "'He's the fellow, to find out all we need to know. "'Oh, I say, look, he's coming back already.' Bigwig was racing back across the field, looking more agitated than he had at any time since the encounter with Captain Holly. He ran into the water almost headlong and paddled over fast, leaving an arrowhead ripple on the calm brown surface. He was speaking as he jerked himself out on the sandy foreshore. "'Well, Hazel, if I were you, I shouldn't wait until Nefrith. I should go now. In fact, I think you'll have to.' "'Why?' asked Hazel. "'There's a, log, a large dog loose in the wood,' Hazel started. "'What?' he said. "'How do you know?' When you get into the field, you can see the wood sloping down to the river. Parts of it are open. I saw the dog crossing a clearing. It was trailing a chain, so it must have broken loose. It may be on the Lendry's scent, but the Lendry will be underground by now. What do you think will happen when it picks up our scent, running from one side of the wood to the other with dew on it? Come on, let's get over quickly. Hazel felt at a loss. In front of him stood Bigwig, sodden wet, undaunted, single-minded, the very picture of decision. At his shoulder was Fiverr, silent and twitching. He saw Blackberry watching him intently, waiting for his lead and disregarding Bigwig's. Then he looked at Pipkin, huddled into a fold of sand, more panic-stricken and helpless than any rabbit had ever seen. At this moment, up in the wood, There broke out an exciting yelping, and a jay began to scold. Hazel spoke through a kind of lightheaded trance. Well, you'd better get on then, he said, and anyone else who wants to. Personally, I'm going to wait until Fiverr and Pipkin are fit to tackle it. You silly blockhead, cried Bigwig. We'll all be finished. We'll. Don't stamp about, said Hazel. You may be heard. What do you suggest, then? Timothy, hush. What do you suggest, then? Suggest? There's no suggesting to be done. Those who can swim, swim. The others will have to stay here and hope for the best. The dog may not come. I'm afraid that won't do for me. I've got Pipkin into this, and I'm going to get him out. Well, you didn't get Fiverr into it, did you? He got you into it. Hazel could not help noticing with reluctant admiration that although Bigwig had lost his temper, he was apparently in no hurry on his own account and seemed less frightened than any of them. Looking round for Blackberry, he saw that he had left them and was up at the top of the pool where the narrow beach tailed away into a gravel pit. His paws were half buried in the wet gravel and he was nosing at something large and flat on the waterline. It looked like a piece of wood Blackberry, he said, can you come back here a moment? Blackberry looked up, tugged out his paws, and ran back. Hazel, he said quickly, that's a piece of flat wood, like the piece that closed the gap by the green loose above the warren, you remember? It must have drifted down the river so it floats. We could put fiver and pipkin on it and make it float. It might go across the river. Can you understand? Hazel had no idea what he meant. Blackberry's flood of apparent nonsense only seemed to draw tighter the mesh of danger and bewilderment. As though Bigwig's angry impatience, Pipkin's terror, and the approaching dog were not enough to contend with, the cleverest rabbit among them had evidently gone out of his mind. He felt close to despair. Frithra, yes, I see, said an excited voice at his ear. It was Fiverr. "'Quick, Hazel, don't wait. Come on and bring Pipkin.' It was Blackberry who bullied the stupefied Pipkin to his feet and forced him to limp the few yards to the gravel spit. The piece of wood, hardly bigger than a large rhubarb leaf, was lightly aground. Blackberry almost drove Pipkin onto it with his claws. Pipkin crouched, shivering, and Fiverr followed him aboard. "'Who's strong?' said Blackberry. "'Bigwig, Silver!' Push it out. No one obeyed him. All squatted, puzzled and uncertain. Blackberry buried his nose in the gravel under the landward edge of the board and raised it, pushing it. The board tipped. Pipkin squealed, and Viver lowered his head and splayed out his claws. Then the board righted itself and drifted out a few feet into the pool, with the two rabbits hunched upon it, rigid and motionless. They rotated slowly, and they found themselves staring back at their comrades. Frith and inlay, said Dandelion. They're sitting on the water. Why don't they sink? They're sitting on the wood, and the wood floats. Can't you see, said Blackberry. Now, we swim over ourselves. Can we start, Hazel? During the last few minutes, Hazel had been as near to losing his head as he was ever to come. He had been at its wit's end with no reply to Bigwig's scornful impatience, except his readiness to risk his own life in company with Fiverr and Pipkin. He still could not understand what had happened, but at least he realized that Blackberry wanted him to show authority. His head cleared. Swim, he said. Everybody swim. He watched them as they went in. Dandelion swam as well as he ran, swiftly and easily. Silver, too, was strong. The others paddled and scrambled over somehow, and as they began to reach the other side, Hazel plunged. The cold water penetrated his fur almost at once. His breath came short, and as his head went under, he could hear a faint grating of gravel along the bottom. He paddled across awkwardly. His head tilted high out of the water and made for the figwort. He pulled himself out, he looked round among the sopping rabbits in the alders. "'Where's Bigwig?' he asked. "'Behind you,' answered Blackberry, his teeth chattering. "'Bigwig was still in the water, on the other side of the pool. "'He had swum to the raft, put his head against it, "'and was pushing it forward with heavy thrusts of his back legs. "'Keep still,' Hazel heard him say in quick, gulping voice. Then he sank, but a moment later he was up again and had thrust his head over the back of the board. As he kicked and struggled, it tilted, and then while the rabbit's watched from the bank moved slowly across the pool and grounded on the opposite side, Fiverr pushed Pipkin onto the stones, and Bigwig waited out beside them, shivering and breathless. I got the idea once Blackberry had shown us, he said. But it's hard to push it when you're in the water. I hope it's not long to sunrise. I'm cold. Let's get on. There was no sign of the dog, as they made haste through the alders and up the field to the first hedgerow. Most of them had not understood Blackberry's discovery of the raft, and at once forgot it. Fiverr, however, came over to where Blackberry was lying against the stem of the blackthorn in the hedge. You saved Pipkin and me, didn't you, he said. I don't think Pipkin's got any idea what really happened, but I have. I admit it was a good idea, replied Blackberry. Let's remember it. It might come in handy again sometime. Chapter 9. The Crow and the Beanfield The sun rose while they were still lying in the thorns. Already several of the rabbits were asleep, crouched uneasily between the thick stems, unaware of the chance of danger, but too tired to do more than trust to luck. Hazel, looking at them, felt almost as insecure as he had the riverbank. A hedgerow in open fields was no place to remain all day, but where could they go? He needed to know more about their surroundings. He moved along the hedge, feeling the breeze from the south, "'and looking for some spot where he could sit "'and scent it without too much risk. "'The smells that came down from the higher ground "'might tell him something. "'He came to a wide gap, "'which had been trodden into mud by cattle. "'He could see them grazing in the next field, "'further up the slope. "'He went cautiously out into the field, "'squatted down against a clump of thistles, "'and began to smell the wind. "'Now that he was clear of the hawthorn scent of the hedge,' The reek of cattle dung. he became fully aware of what had already been drifting into his nostrils while he was lying among the thorn. There was only one smell on the wind, and it was new to him: a strong, fresh, sweet fragrance that filled the air. It was healthy enough. there was no harm in it. But what was it? And why was the smell so strong? How could it exclude every other smell in open country on the south wind? The source must be close by. Hazel wondered whether to send one of the rabbits to find out. Dandelion would be over the top and back almost as fast as a hare. Then his sense of adventure and mischief prompted him. He would go himself and bring back some news before they even knew that he had gone. That would give Bigwig something to bite on. He ran easily up the meadow towards the cows. As he came, they raised their heads and gazed at him. All together for the moment before returning to their food, A great black bird was flapping and hopping a little way behind the herd. It looked rather like a large rook, but unlike a a rook, it was alone. He watched its greenish, powerful beak stabbing the ground, but could not make out what it was doing. It so happened the hazel had never seen a crow. It did not occur to him that it was following the track of a mole in the hope of killing it with a blow of its beak and then pulling it out of the shallow run. If he had realized this, he might have classed it lightheartedly as a knot hawk. That is anything from a wren to a pheasant and continued on his way up the slope. The strange fragrance was stronger now, coming over the top of the rise in a wave of scent that struck him powerfully as the scent of orange blossomed in the Mediterranean strikes a traveler who smells it for the first time. Fascinated, he ran to the crest. Nearby was another hedgerow, and beyond, moving gently in the breeze, stood a field of broad beads in full flower. Hazel squatted on his haunches and stared at the orderly forest of small and glorious trees with their columns of black and white bloom he had never seen anything like a field of turnips, but this was entirely different from any of those and seemed t- somehow attractive, wholesome, propitious. True rabbits could not eat these plants. He could smell that, but they could lie safely among them as long as they liked, and they would, not, and they would move through them easily and unseen. Hazel determined then and there to bring the rabbits up to the bean field to shelter and rest until evening. He ran back and found the others where he had left them. Bigwig and Silver were awake, but all all the rest were still napping uneasily. Not asleep, Silver, he said. It's too dangerous, Hazel, replied Silver. I'd like to sleep as much as anyone, but if we all sleep and something comes, who's going to spot it? I know. I have found a place where we can sleep safely for as long as we like. A burrow? No, not a burrow. A great field of scented plants that will cover us, sight and smell, until we're rested. Come out here and smell it, if you like. Both rabbits did so. You say you've seen these plants, said Bigwig, turning his ears to catch the distant rustling of the bees. Yes, they're only just over the top. Come on, let's get the others moving before a man comes with a herd to do, or they'll scatter all over the place. Silver... Roused the others and began to coax them into the field. They stumbled out drowsily, responding with reluctance to his repeated assurance that it was only a little way. They became widely separated as they straggled up the slope. Silver and Bigwig led the way, with Hazel and Buckthorn a few, dist- a short distance behind. The rest idled along, hopping a few yards and then pausing to nibble or to pass droppings on the warm, sunny grass. Silver was almost at the crest, when suddenly halfway up there came a high screaming, the sound a rabbit makes, not to call for help or frighten an enemy, but simply out of terror. Fiverr and Pipkin, limping it behind the others, and conspicuously oversized and, ter- and tired, were being attacked by the crow. It had flown low along the ground, then, pouncing, it had aimed a blow at its great bill at Fiverr, who just managed to dodge in time. Now it was leaping and hopping among the grass tussocks, striking at the two rabbits with terrible darts of its, eye, of its head, crow's aim at the eyes, and Pipkin, sensing this, had, his head, had buried his head in a clump of rank grass and was trying to burrow further in. It was he who was screaming. Hazel covered the distance down the slope in a few seconds. He had no idea what he was going to do. And if the crow had ignored him, he would probably have been at a loss. But by dashing up, he distracted its attention and turned it, and it turned on him. He swerved past it, stopped, and looking back, saw Bigwig come racing in from the opposite side. The crow turned again, struck at Bigwig and missed. Hazel heard its beak hit a pebble in the grass with a sound like a snail shell when a thrush beats it on a stone. As Silver followed Bigwig, it recovered itself and faced him squarely. Silver stopped short in fear, and the crow seemed to dance before him, its great black wings flapping in a horrible commotion. It was just about to stab when Bigwig ran straight into it from behind and knocked it sideways so that it staggered across the turf with a harsh, raucous calling of rage. Keep at it, cried Bigwig. Come in behind it, they're cowards. They only attack helpless rabbits. But already the crow was making off, flying low with slow, heavy-beating wings. They watched it clear the further hedge and disappear into the woods beyond the river. A silence there was a gentle, tearing sound as a grazing cow moved nearer. Bigwig strolled over to Pipkin, muttering a ribald owlslaw lampoon. Hoi, hoy, you embley afraid. Maison, les raccobins. Hoi, hoy, the stinking thousand. We meet them even when we stop to pass our droppings. Come on, Haru, he said. You can get your head out now. Having quite a day, aren't we? He turned away and Pippin tried to follow him. Hazel remembered that Fiverr had said he thought he was injured. Now as he watched him limping and staggering up the slope. It occurred to him that he might actually be wounded in some way. He kept trying to put his near-side front paw to the ground and then drawing it up again, hopping on three legs. I'll have a look at him as soon as they're settled under cover, he thought. Poor little chap. He won't be able to get much further than that. At the top of the slope, Buckthorn was already leading the way into the bean field. Hazel reached the hedge, crossed a narrow turf, veneer on either side, and found himself looking straight down a long shadowy aisle between the bean rows. The earth was soft and crumbling, the scattering of the weeds that are found in cultivated fields, fumitory Charlock, Pimpernel, and Mayweed, all growing in the green blue under the bean leaves. As the plants moved in the, di- in the breeze, the sunlight dappled and speckled back and forth over the brown soil white pebbles and leaves. Yet in this ubiquitous restlessness, there was nothing alarming, for the whole forest took part in it, and the only sound was the soft, steady movement of the leaves. Far along the bean row, Hazel glimpsed Buckthorn's back and followed him into the depths of the field. Soon after, the rabbits had come together in a kind of hollow. Far around on all sides stood the orderly rows of beans securing them against hostile approach, rooming them over and covering their seat. They could hardly be, ha- be seen. They could hardly have been safer underground. Even a little food could be had at a pinch, and here and there were a few pale twists of grass, and here and there a dandelion. We can sleep here all day, said Hazel, but I suppose one of us ought to stay awake, and if I take the first turn, it'll give me a chance to look at your paw, LaRue. I think you've got something in it. Pipkin, who was lying on his left side, breathing quickly and heavily, rolled over and stretched out his front paw. Underside turned upward. Hazel peered closely into the thick, coarse hair. A rabbit's foot has no pads. And after a few moments, he saw what he had expected. The oval shank of a snapped-off thorn sticking out through the skin. There was a little blood, and the flesh was torn. We've got a big thorn there, LaRue, he said. No wonder you couldn't run. We have to get it out. Getting the thorn out was not easy, for the foot had become so tender that Pipkin winced and pulled away, even from Hazel's tongue. But after a good deal of patient effort, Hazel succeeded in working out enough of the stump to get a grip on with his teeth. The thorn came out smoothly, and the wound bled. The spine was so long and thick that Hawkbit, who happened to be close by, woke Speedwell to have a look. Frith above, Pipkin, said Speedwell, sniffing at the thorn where it lay on on a pebble. You better collect a few more like that, and then you can make a notice board, Frightened Fiver. You might have poked the lendries' eye out, if only you had known. Lick the place, Haru, said Hazel. Lick it until it feels better, and then go to sleep. (laughs) Read the read chapter, read the next chapter, read the next chapter. read,